1: then you're going to have to be able to see better. So join me on this journey of living our best lives and understanding and realizing how you are your greatest asset. Let me tell you something. Going after your dreams isn't easy. They say dreams don't work unless you do. So what you doing? Hmm. Have you ever heard the quote that um, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight? It's about the size of the fight and the dog. Well, I got to ask you something. How big is your fight and your dog? Mm -hmm. You know, we got these dreams and aspirations in our life, just things that we want. Uh, But sometimes I wonder, how bad do we really want it? Because oftentimes, we come into a situation, we make these things called excuses. As to why we couldn't do something why we couldn't show up? Why aren't we there on time? Not wanting to be uncomfortable, but then I gotta ask you, how big is your fight in your dog? Now, usually we look at the size of the dog of as far as people who have access, uh, people who have notoriety, uh, people who have a social media following, people that come with a wholesome family, uh, some people that may not have any mental disorders or physical disabilities. But they ain't got nothing to do with the fight and the dog. Let me just tell you, even with myself. You can't allow people to tell you no. When I first applied to Howard, I didn't get accepted. Now, easily. That could affect my ego, right? And me showing up in my ego with the biggest dog, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't get in. And I had to say, wait a minute, Dawn. This ain't about whether or not you're smart enough because... um, you're an honor roll. You're honor student. You're active on campus. You are president of student council. This had to come with a moment of how bad are you willing to fight? And see, that's when you got a mother like Janice Hill. Hey, she going to remind you that there is nothing that you cannot do. She's going to fuel. She has, she still does fuel the fight in my dog. So, Dawn, what did you do? Oh, well, let me tell you what I did. I wrote Howard. Now, I did say, President, I was uh, the secretary of student council in high school. That's neither here nor there. I wrote Howard and told them my qualifications because perhaps it's just the fact that I didn't test well. huh? But my fight persuaded me, gave me the ammunition to rebuke their verdict. And guess what? The verdict was changed. Not only did I graduate from Howard, I graduated with honors and I hosted my graduation. So don't sit here and tell me what you cannot do. Because it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. Let's go. Get your vitamin D right here with me and get excited. Hello. let me tell you I got somebody special in the studio with me <laughs> now I was asking Jeremiah and I should know this is it Michael or McCall or Michal you're super super close it's Michal Michal yes it's like a you know
2: huh sound <sighs> <laughs> Hamed yes yes what's your background so it's complicated but my mom's Jewish she's Ashkenazi so she's like Ashkenazi. Eastern European basically but like they have very unique like culture from like Russians and Ukrainians and stuff. And then my dad was born in Pakistan, but we're from two different like ethnic groups, both of which are like indigenous groups basically. So I'm Punjabi and Kashmiri, and then I'm from like two patrilineal tribes. So it's very confusing. Where's yes.
1: Patrilineal.
2: So like we um, understand ancestry to descend from the father so patrilineal means it comes from your father's side but then on my mom's side everything is matrilineal so it starts with the mother so it's very interesting my so family. when you say start what do you mean by that? like are you like you know the stories like in the bible like Sarah you know how she was like the mother of nations okay. so it's like the matriarch of the family
1: you oh know? so you're, the way you grew up Christianity is not something no. that I loved it I That's so interesting. It's
2: so interesting that you say that because I had first, I had never been in a church until I was like 18 years old, like an actual religious church. I had been to like old churches or like food donations, stuff like that, but I had never been to a church service. And I think that once I went, everyone was doing all these different things that it was foreign to me. So it felt like the first time I was learning so much about Christianity I didn't know that when people put their hands up it's like to
1: God I did not know that how was I
2: supposed to know like how would I I know when I was
1: in Kenya (laughs) I was talking to the homie Dang, I should know his name right now. Oh, my phone is right. It don't matter. <laughs> I was asking him, I was like, you know, what's what's your background? Like with faith or religion? He was talking about, you know, it was talking about God and Jesus. I was like, how do you, how does your people know about Jesus? Like just geographically yeah. speaking and how the message He's like, oh, you mean my grandfather's religion? Yeah, let's talk about that. Mm hmm. Um And basically, grandfather, grandmother, but just before there was a thing of Christianity. So, you had never heard of God or Jesus? Well,
2: I mean, obviously, I knew what God and Jesus was, but like, okay, so like, Jesus is the son of God, but then Jesus died for everyone's sins, and then Jesus is God, but also the son, and Mary's a virgin. Right, like, they had a baby, right. <laughs> Like, and I'm a birth worker, so I'm like, that's not how you make a baby. Like, something was up in her. Like, come on. Yeah, come! how let's else like like what what <sighs> really do we really like come on
1: with all the sperm that was in the world and really like let's and think it's about like that miraculously because we want to keep- <laughs> wow you ready for a real conversation in here oh yeah you, you know excited. i think it's important because i was just talking to a home girl of mine and she was telling me her daughter is 12 years old and thinks that a baby comes from a swan she probably meant a steward but Ugh. she said swan and i said really and i didn't mean to, sh- to judge but i feel like i don't know about in your background but i want to say african-american communities i don't know if we talk about sex enough and talking about where children come from and yeah. and your genitalia in general of what it even looks like it's Shh, don't say anything and you know i've had um, an individual kiana she was on the show and she was just talking talking about how she had been involved in um Sex trafficking, how she had been raped, she had been molested, and that whole hush-hush. And it's like, we need to be more open with Mm -hmm. this dialogue and this conversation and not acting like some fairy dust. Mm -hmm. Just came out of nowhere. And I think it's hard, too, because people
2: want to do what's best for their kids. And they think that keeping information from them is protecting them in some way. But ultimately, what that does is it drives people to the internet, which is like... You, so you don't want your kid to know about how they became a person, mm-hmm. which one I think is a problem because I think it's normal to talk about how we enter the world. That's something that is common to every human. You know, we were made. Right. Like that's not an uncommon experience. But to then have that and then kids going to the Internet, it's just they're primed for exploitation and for misinformation about their own bodies. You know, Mm. it's
1: really weird. It's really weird. I love how you described yourself. You said, I'm a birth worker. Yes. (laughs) What does that mean?
2: Okay. So a birth worker is someone that works in birth or with birth. I think of it. So like yourself, you know, you're creative. You have this calling in some way that keeps you going, despite how difficult it is, you know, how, Frustrating it can be to navigate the field or, you know, partnerships or whatever. Just the same way that I get tired of standing up and, you know, I am often up for long hours at late hours, almost always covered in baby vomit of some sorts. But we have this calling, you know, for me, I feel like it definitely was something that came from my ancestors. And for that, I was just like whoa, what's happening? Like it was the first time I had felt that kind of reconnection to ancestry, which was cray. But once I realized it, I was like, okay, basically this means for me that I'm going to have my hands and arms wrapped around like families and mothers and birthing people for probably like the rest of my life, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and And it just came to you one day to be like, I'm going to be dealing with babies yeah so it didn't just come to me one day so
2: throughout my life I've always appreciated kids because they don't know boundaries really that well so everything that they're learning is typically for the first time or the first few times and so with a baby you see that rapidly like babies develop so quickly you know they learn how to move walk talk like within six months like what do we do in six months? Like we're in our adult lives. And what do we do in six months? Like I could not tell you what I did this last six months, but you can see the observations in a new human. And so I've always loved kids. And then I was working at this government commission in Hawaii about women. And we were working on this feminist like recovery plan for COVID because all of the COVID like funding was like police, you know, sending it out to like, places that did not need money you know the police don't need more money or anything but (laughs) that's that Okay, Okay. (laughs) that's that but um, we were basically advocating for money to be put into like community healthcare midwifery services and that's where I met my mentor um, Tanya Smith Johnson she's the current president of the National College of Midwifery she's the first black president of the National College of Midwifery so She's always she's always rooting me on and I always like to give her shout outs because if I didn't meet her, I think it would have been really, really hard for me to figure out like what to do because it's not easy. You know, like what happens when you make wake up one day and you're like, hmm, I want to be a midwife. Like, what do you do? Where do you go? You look towards like schools and stuff and the schools that we have here are not the best necessarily we have like two three midwifery programs just in california
1: mm-hmm. two and three it's like like this is a whole new <clears throat> world in my brain like mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course this is something or a position or a field a career that is definitely a uh, needed mm. valued mm. but i never thought to think like what this person does like how important they are in the process and so just hearing you talking about like how you kind of dived in there was interesting and then as I was looking at you further it's interesting that you did choose this career path and you yourself have challenges with mm-hmm. your how do we um with endometriosis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and that was another big thing was my experience like basically being forced to navigate the OBGYN's office since I
1: was 13 years old wait 13 what's going Mm. on at 13 for somebody that may not know what's endometriosis so yes so endometriosis is a disease
2: that basically happens when the uterine lining doesn't fully well it sheds but it makes adhesions on other parts of the pelvic area but it can also be found like in your brain so it's kind of like the worst thing ever yeah but so it's like attaching skin yeah, so it makes adhesions, it, it layers these cells that over time cause these kind of like exactly like fibrous almost at times, but ultimately like binding material. So I had to have a surgery called, <clears throat> excuse me, bilateral laparoscopic ablation surgery for endometriosis. And they basically just put a camera in your belly button and then in other parts of your stomach. They fill it with gas and they like burn and kind of cauterize out the, you know, diseased parts. And I had like adhesions, basically like fusing part of the back of my uterus to my bladder. It's just like, how did you find out about this? Okay. So at 13, so this surgery happened when I was 18, but fast forward, I've always struggled with my menstrual cycle. It was something that the first time I got it, I was so shocked because I genuinely was surprised that I was just losing that much blood. I was, I had just turned 12, I remember. And I remember like I was walking home from school and I was like, uh, uh, something's not right. Like I could just feel and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding. I was like, this is my period, but it was a lot. And that first year that I had my menstrual cycle, it was just like, I would bleed and bleed and bleed. Like it was like, it, it was nonstop. And it was very painful. Like I was like so much pain that I like wouldn't want to do the things I wanted to do. And I was 13. So it was like, you know, that's typically not something necessarily that 13 year olds struggle with. So I felt isolated too, because I was like, Growing up in also, like, a South Asian household, like, you know, the way menstruation is treated is very, like, interesting. Um, I don't want to say bad or wrong, but, you know, there's this assumption that, like, you really shouldn't do much when you're menstruating, right? Like, you should really rest, which I actually, like, find value in. But <clears throat> that also kind of comes from the idea that you could potentially be, like, contagious. Contagious.
1: And leave her alone and buy her... Uh, even to today? Yeah. So, I think I've heard... I don't know what cultures in my brain I could be messed up. Uh, like, I imagine I've seen something, read something where they're in the tent and nobody can go in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's washing, but I just imagine there's some like disgusting int- yeah. moment viewed. And it's it's really weird because I don't
2: think that it has to be negative, but I definitely think that the way that like a lot of our communities engage with it is stigmatizing you know and it's just sad cuz like
1: life comes from this process
2: exactly and and it's the it's it's a uniting experience you know Isn't like we will all have it right you know we can we can know that i mean some people don't but there's a lot of people you can rely on despite this you know i still was like okay i'm so young i was one of the first of my friends to have my period like it was just very strange and I didn't end up going to see my pediatrician until I was like 13 about like a year after I had initially gotten my menstrual cycle and he's like this very sweet like Filipino doctor he's been my family doctor forever you know my dad's with me in the room like it's like you know I'm 13 man like what are you gonna do with me and he's like oh yeah take um aspirin (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you are you closer to your dad than your mom?
2: No, I'm closer to both of them equally. Okay. I love them both. They're, you know, they're, okay, such, that's so they're such good parents. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, I do love them. I think it's interesting because my parents are older. So seeing them progress has always happened in a different way than I saw my friend's parents. You know,
1: how old were they when they had you? My mom was 40. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: She was like, I'm not. I'm not okay. doing the whole young thing with these kids.
1: Okay. Me, so. You were her first? Mm-hmm. And she had more? Mm-hmm. One okay, more. so it's hope. Okay. I'm not I'm not 40 yet, but I'm, you no. know. No. Okay, so
2: this is this is another thing we can talk about. Oh, my gosh. Wait. <laughs> the myths around geriatric pregnancy.
1: Okay, wait. Cause, hold on. Wait. Okay, so, okay. Okay, go ahead. Wait. Let's finish the, how okay, you find yes. the endometriosis, because yes. then we got to go into the doula, and then yes. we got to talk about pregnancy. Okay,
2: okay. So, I went to, he eventually was like, okay, yeah, we told him, you know, I've been taking ibuprofen, I've been taking Advil, I've been taking aspirin, it's not helping me. And it's like, one, they weren't helping me, like, they're called NSAIDs, non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. They basically just try and reduce the body's response to inflammation, right? But if you're just treating the body for inflammation over and over again and not addressing the
1: root cause. It's numbing it.
2: Yeah. And it's also really bad for your stomach. There's all sorts of issues with, like, continuous, like, over-the-counter pain medication, you know, consumption and stuff. But I get sent to this OBGYN and, you know, coincidence, it's my mom's OBGYN, you know, because we're all, I'm, I'm 13, we're all in a family, you know, healthcare plan. My dad's with me and... You know, she says to me like, you know, most teen girls just have irregular periods and all that we do is just recommend that you go on birth control. So basically from age 13, I started taking hormonal birth control and it like regulates your cycle basically. So it is essentially your ovaries and your uterus that usually communicate with your brain are being kind of controlled by like a synthetic hormone. Um, and it's not like, I'm not I'm not a birth control hater. You know what I mean? I'm just, uh, this is my experience and it isn't something we should probably readily over prescribe teenage girls, especially teenage girls who are in the clinical environment for reproductive health issues already. You know what I'm saying? Like it was looking back on it now as someone that is one day going to be a provider. Like I think about that situation critically.
1: So, that basically... Well, the harm is that it's, it's thrown off the body. Like, what are some of the negative side effects? Of, like, the hormonal birth <clears> control?
2: <throat> well, one, it didn't actually address my symptoms. So, I was still experiencing painful menstrual cycles. And they didn't really provide me any relief other than they gave me, like, an increase, like, a 800 milligram, you know, like, Advil or something like that. Which is, like, cool. I could just take two of these <laughs> from CVS. Like, really? Like, what's going on here? But... It did kind of tide me over until I started experiencing my endometriosis symptoms really badly, which is when I started college. And I was, like, passing
1: out. Passing I was, out? What do you I mean passing s-
2: out? Like, I was in so much pain, I would black out. Like, like I was, you could like— you be standing
1: or sitting in class and fall out?
2: Yeah. And so that's actually what happened. Wow. So once— this situation happened. My roommate was there. You know, I ended up going to the emergency room and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And unfortunately, you know, there's so much that needs to change. There's so much that needs to change. Let's talk about it. You shed a light. So, when you're admitted to like an ER, right, they are immediately trying to perform as many tests as they can to figure out, okay, what is this story we have the symptoms right the patients here you know reporting these symptoms but we don't know the cause so they're going to use tests and things they're going to run exams and they're going to use their education and their expertise to make a conclusion but the conclusions that doctors often make are not disentangled from systems of power so the decisions doctors make you know about certain things it's impacted by racism it's impacted by sexism Because we live in a racist and sexist country, Mm -hmm. you know, so how is it that and we have all this research proving, you know, that there is different outcomes, health outcomes for people of color during COVID even. Why is it that people of color were dying of COVID more, you know, than white people when we're
1: all in the same country? And along with just even people that experience, uh, I don't know what the the term is, but Difficult pregnancies, yes, and women of color dying more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it shows. It showed me that moment that wow, things really need to change. So you feel like a minority when you step through? Nobody is thinking like you might be. I mean, they okay. may, they maybe have questions.
2: <laughs> they have questions because I don't. You know, I can check an Asian box, and then they look at me and they're like, "And I'm like, I know, but." It's not my choice. There's no Southwest Asian category that I can choose. So take what you take. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, when I go into the ER, the questions they'll immediately ask are, especially with reproductive health care, are about your sexual activity. So I was 17. I was in college. I was a person having sex, right? And because of that, they immediately thought, Well, you probably have gonorrhea or chlamydia. You have an STI, and that's why you're in pain. Because I was experiencing extreme pelvic cramping, like extreme pelvic pain. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, "You're not really a hoe like that." (laughs) Like
1: uh, (laughs) that. Like side side. Like I
2: mean, I. At 17 years old, I was not as conscious and aware of, like, taking care of your sexual health as I am now, but it, it wasn't like that. Like, I, I was getting tested. There was no way I had an STI. And, you know, they took a sample, but they said this is really, really bad if an STI develops into something called pelvic inflammatory disease. And it can cause infertility. It's so, so dangerous. Already traumatic, traumatized. So they're telling me all these things. And they're like, the thing that's going to help you is an antibiotic shot in your butt. <laughs> so I get this antibiotic shot on my butt and I pick up my antibiotics and they send me home with the referral to an OBGYN. And um, I end up having to go in early because I'm experiencing so much pain. And... Basically, I go to this OBGYN and I can just tell she's like overworked. You know, you can see when people are just like mm. about to sneeze. Thank <laughs> you. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> you are very There we go. So, you can just tell when you're in a medical environment and someone like doesn't see you as a person, you know what I mean? Like they're just looking at you like, okay. I need to get this information, give it to me now, please, you know? And it doesn't feel great especially when you're in like a stressful situation it makes you feel kind of like uncared for mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not what healthcare is supposed to be. Right, healthcare, health care. care. You know, we're supposed to want to help promote happiness, health and healing. And love that. Yeah, that's that's what I that's why yeah. I, I mean I want I want to see people thriving and happy and healthy. So she mentions to me that my um my, te- my you know test for gonorrhea and chlamydia came back negative. and I'm like, "How are you just gonna brush that off? Like you told me that the cause of my pain was this illness and infection that I don't have, and now I've taken antibiotics for it, potentially causing harm to my body because when you take too many antibiotics for things that it aren't treating, your, your balance. it throws balance. off your balance in your gut but also it can cause your body to resist the antibiotics. It's called antibiotic resistance. And it's growing more and more common because antibiotics are over-prescribed. You know, like anytime you have an infection or in my case, I didn't have an infection and I was still prescribed them and given them, you know? So she tells me that her pain management strategy for me is going to be medication. And so, mm mm-hmm.
1: Whoa, how are we figuring out the story here? We just throwing stuff on top because we got to figure out why are you in pain? Let's talk about why is the pain existing? Right.
2: And mind you, at this time, I'm 17. And at this point, I've had at least maybe six or seven pop smears. You're not supposed to have one of those till you're 21. You know, you don't want to open the cervix up to too much contamination because, that's how you get infections is by constantly examining an internal body part. You know, I'd had, you know, all the panels done, all the things. And so she says, you know, my pain management strategy for you is medication. So she sends me this prescription. I go to pick it up and I was unable to because she prescribed me, uh, Oxycontin. What? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, like a, like a painkiller, like a super, yeah, yeah, a class three narcotic. And I wasn't 18 at the time. So I couldn't even pick up that quantity because it would have been a federal crime.
1: Wow. And that just goes, where is the health care part? I mean, I don't know.
2: It's. It's deeply concerning, but when you look at the history of this field in the United States, it makes sense. Mm. So for me, I'm always trying to think about how we can divert, you know, how we can really shift our capacity and energy away
1: from this, you know? Right, right. And I think it's shedding light in having conversations like this. Absolutely. She says, okay, you're negative. Then you're like, okay, so what's up? So
2: I had another kind of episode where I ended up like basically blacking out in pain and an advising meeting which is not cute your first semester of college you know what I'm saying wow luckily this is like the story of like my experiences is like caring people supporting me you know my advisor let me know that her wife actually had endometriosis this thing called endometriosis and they couldn't figure out what it was for years she went to all these different doctors and Um, she kind of gave me her phone number and information and said, you know, if you want to call her, if you want to talk, like, here you go. I immediately left that meeting. I called and scheduled an appointment and I had an appointment within like a week and a half. And when I got to that appointment, like I I just knew that like, I felt something was going to change. The nurse that did my vitals was like really respectful of me. And when I ended up going into the exam room, my doctor... She did like a full pelvic exam. So you take like a, it's called a transvaginal pelvic exam. It goes through your vagina. They take this wand, you've probably seen it, and it's like, okay, we're just gonna poke mm-hmm. around and yeah. And um I noticed she was like, oh wow. And I was like, what? And she's like, You have a lot of fluid, like just free-floating fluid. Is your heart your racing? Pelvis. What
1: are you feeling right now? Are you nervous? <sighs> are you scared? I just didn't know what it meant
2: at first, so I was like, "Okay, there's fluid. What did I? Like, what's wrong? Like, what could it be?" And then she gets to my ovaries, and she's like, "Okay." So she's like, "All right, like we're okay, we're done." And I'm also in pain at this point because basically
1: I was in constant pelvic pain. Like, okay, so you're you are you administrating? No, you're not. You're not in your cycle. You're, mm-hmm. just, no, no. Oh, you're just in. Oh, so when you have endometriosis, you're just in pain all the time, not just because of cramps. Yeah. Oh my.
2: You kind of don't get relief because when your menstrual cycle is bad, it causes your pelvic floor, which is this muscle group we have that holds up our body. It gets tight and spastic. So I experience muscle spasms and it's like you can you can feel it like you can like you're like, ah, like you can literally hear jumping. Yeah, because no one wants to feel like that in their body, you know. So... I go to her office and I had never sat down in like a doctor's office where they're at a table and you're like, this is what they do in the movies. I felt like, and she said the word endometriosis and that second I heard it, I was just like, like, it was like everything else just became silent. Like, I was just like, whoa, this is like happening. I'm being validated. You know, my pain is acknowledged my reality my experience is being honored but what the heck this is like my life now and did you know what it meant at that time I did because, because of I, I had you. yes but also I had been like acts like asking and advocating to get tested for endometriosis oh, okay since I first started seeing one doctor I had been through like Almost a dozen OBGYNs. Like, literally. One of them told me, like, oh, you should get pregnant. Wait, what? Get because pregnant. then you won't have a menstrual cycle. What does that even mean? Like, what? Why are you... Was that a male doctor? Yeah, it was a male doctor. Wow. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I mean, one of them recommended a full hysterectomy.
1: Are you at yeah. 17? So forget any
2: okay go ahead it was it was really weird too because I've never hated my like uterus like I've been in so much pain from it but I don't hate it I just I am always trying to understand it better (laughs) but to have someone want to remove it from me you know It was a very weird experience and it was so nonchalant for him. I remember like, and you're sitting in the stirrups. So, you know, it's, you're, you're You're very exposed, you know? So this doctor actually that finally diagnosed me correctly, she said, the reason why I think you have endometriosis is you said you were hospitalized. I found a bunch of free um, floating fluid in your pelvic cavity, right? usually what that's a result of is of ovarian cysts, right? So it's likely that the pain that sent me to the hospital was the pain from ovarian cysts bursting. Jesus. Yeah. And so I was experiencing that rupturing pain that is like uh, very, very bad.
1: Is it just for a second or is it like... No, it's like... It's not like a pop. Ah, It's not a pop. It's like... Or like a a, gas bubble
2: or like a... uh, It feels like your muscles, like your pelvic floor and your uterus are being slowly pulled through like something very hard to pull it through. Like there's resistance. You can feel it. It's very uncomfortable. And luckily I have not experienced ovarian cysts since then, right? Because I had a doctor that saw that I had these symptoms. She saw The reason why she ended the exam was because she saw very low egg follicle count. And so that's common in women or people with endometriosis is infertility or reduced, um, you know, ovarian follicles, right, or eggs. And so that, to hear that, you know, I've always known that I'm going to be a mother and wanted to have children. And that's something that's very sacred to me. And I never anticipated to hear anything along the lines of you can't do that or that might not be possible for you at that age. I mean, it was really, there was no one else that I knew that had experience because we don't talk about these things.
1: We don't talk about it. I saw you post something on Instagram. Is this when they said you had the ovaries of a 30, 40? Yeah. What was
2: it? Yeah. Like I had the ovarian follicle count of like someone that was like, it was like 32 or 34. I was 17, 18, when they did, yeah. And so basically, what that was a result of was years of untreated inflammation, you know, and chronic pain. I mean, pain, it sucks, but it tells us something. Because
1: your body shouldn't just be hurting. Yeah. Just
2: hurt. Just like we shouldn't
1: just hurt as Mm -hmm. people.
2: Yeah. So I, f- I met her, she put me on a bunch of different treatments, some of them didn't work, most of them didn't work. Um, I basically tried every kind of birth control that like exists, like the patch, the ring, the pill, all the things didn't work. Then I had surgery and I had an IUD inserted and that was to help manage the endometriosis and I started pelvic floor physical therapy. And What's that? So that is, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so it's because it's really love out the fact there. I that you're happy that I asked. Yes. I asked a lot of questions. Okay, so this is the thing. Pelvic floor physical therapy is the fairy godmother that you never know you needed. So our pelvic floor, especially as people that have uteruses and reproductive organs that can carry babies and stuff, takes a beating. We stand not straight. We slouch, you know what I'm saying? We slouch, right? We fold our transverse abdominal muscles. We don't really engage our core. So we kind of just like flop around a lot of the time. And our pelvic floor can create these kind of tight areas or areas of tightness, right? The vagina is really cool because it like can move so much. But the muscle it can't do the most, you know, it's a muscle. You have to train it. So what pelvic Come on, Kegels. Exactly. So (laughs) it's not just Kegels, but it's basically doing work with a physical therapist who helps to manipulate and maneuver different tools inside of your vagina.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. This is so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, does it turn you on? No. No. This is not no. a. It it's was, not like it's feeling good. No, no. It's like you're learning a part
2: of your body. You're, you're learning how to really understand how it moves. And you're like, like gripping or clenching yeah. based on. Yeah. Now, this
1: is before or after you had surgery. So
2: I started it before, but it was prescribed to me like, I think one session a week, about like three weeks after I had surgery. And I did it for like six, seven months straight and it changed my life.
1: Okay. So what was the surgery called that you had?
2: Bilateral laparoscopic ablation surgery.
1: Okay. Ablation surgery. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you, how long was the healing process? Was it, yeah. you said something about your navel and mm-hmm. you know, like, what did it feel like? So I'd never had surgery before. Yeah. Okay. I was
2: like, and I'm also someone that is affected by medication very heavily. So I you noticed medicated for so long. Yeah, I know, because this is why it's like I think once I decided to like really get to a better understanding of what my issues were, and that meant you know not taking all these narcotics that were being given to me, not taking all these prescription pain medications and birth control. So the healing time for me took about a month. They say it'll take two weeks, three weeks. It took me a month. They. Put this camera in your belly button, they cut like a hole. So, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, buy belly button. You know what oh, I mean? No, more belly button. no, I do have a belly oh, button. Oh, okay, okay. But it's like different. Like, it, you can, like, I can see the scar, which is so interesting. Cause most of the time, people don't have like secrets in their belly button, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of cool. So, and then they put two incisions, like, kind of closer to where your ovaries would lay. And they use these tools to cauterize and, you know, take out the endometrial adhesions and they put you under general anesthesia you know and it it's usually like a relatively short surgery one to two hours I think mine lasted about two and I just remember waking up and feeling like so disoriented um, I was super confused and I was like is it okay like are we okay like are we good I, I saw my doctor and she was like yes it's okay we're, we're gonna be okay like this was It was a successful surgery. She's like, we can show you pictures later. I was like, I'm going to look at pictures of my uterus. What? Like, this is wild. <laughs> but it was, I woke up and was in pain, but I felt like crying tears of happiness because oh, wow. it took me a really long time to even get that surgery. And for most people, it will take longer. The average age to get diagnosed with endometriosis is seven years. And I started having symptoms at 13. I had my surgery at 15 or not 15, sorry, 18. So that was five years. That's shorter on average than it will take any other person. And so I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones, honestly, because there are people
1: out here that have been suffering for years. I can't imagine that even when you're not on your cycle, you're cramping or Mm -hmm. in pain. Yeah. And also like
2: it leads like it, it impacts your life so holistically, like hormonally, your emotions are going to change. You know what I mean? Like I never felt like I was out of PMS because it was just like, I was feeling so much pain and hormones. Like it's very uncomfortable and it's hard when you have chronic pain To, but you don't look necessarily disabled. People are just like, Oh, well what's wrong with you? And it's like, I have coochie issues. Right. Like leave me be right. like I have issues with my vagina. Right. So like, I was really happy when I had my surgery. But I also want to make sure that we don't have to just have surgery as the only option. I want to see a world where people with endometriosis don't have to rely on surgery as their, you know, treatment. As the gold standard. Because ultimately, we should not have to have robots and little cameras go mm-hmm. in our bodies for us to be able to get concrete answers about our health. Can it be caused by stress or anything? Um, Your... Pain can definitely be increased. Yeah. And that's, that was no stress th- is
1: no joke. Yeah. Chronic, sh- your face will be breaking out. You will lose hair. Yeah. You can grow tumors. Like what? And people actually um, take birth control to control their hormones. Like mm-hmm. their emo- like if they're, if they experience super t- intense fluctuations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what did the doctor say? Did they say, did they give you a percentage rate? Are you able to have children now? Or what did they say? Yeah, so luckily,
2: the the other thing is ultrasound imagery is not accurate. It is a guess. The body is not 2D. It's 3D, right? So when you're using an ultrasound, you're getting a 2D image of a 3D object, Right. So you can't always see the depth. You can't always see. That's why, you know, if anyone ever tells you, oh, yeah, my doctor did an ultrasound on me and they said my baby's big and I won't be able to push my baby out. Well, ultrasounds are not that efficient at actually predicting things. They're just pieces of information that that we ultimately use, you know, but the kind of effective rate of ultrasounds predicting things has been shown to not be that high. And that's just looking at different, like, actual controlled studies, but also comprehensive reviews of all the studies about ultrasounds. So she said that we would have to do some extensive blood work. And so I was like, okay, I didn't know that would mean, like, 12 vials of blood. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm getting, like, poked and prodded. But they look at all of the different hormones in your blood. They look at lots of different panels and things like that. And to, to get an estimate basically about how many are left or how many are there. And luckily, that information led to a conclusion that I did not have as depleted ovarian reserve as they had initially yes. thought. Yeah, okay. I
0: know. But I yeah, love no. that you were like holding your breath yeah. because that's,
2: you know, that's that's something that when you are told things like that, you know,
1: it's it's very weird. <laughs> but, you know, there's hope,
2: right? Yeah, I do know that there's, and you know, this is another thing I really want people to know is that we live in a world where people with endometriosis get pregnant, (sighs) you know, we live in that world. We live in a world where there's lots of different types of insemination methods, doesn't necessarily need to be IVF because everyone thinks IVF is like the main thing, but... You know, queer people have been inseminating each other for a long time with different things. So we okay. have alternate ways, you know, and it's it's good
1: to see that be normalized. And uh, being that you are a doula, you've seen some of these things. Yeah, I've I've seen and I've heard. But OK, yeah. so when we come back, we're going to talk about your uh, your life as a doula. OK. And also I'm going to get your thoughts on Roe versus Way. OK. All right. Y'all, we'll be right back.
0: <laughs> the wait is over. the ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel
2: like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Centiva, also available in grapefruit
0: and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com dot com or text snag to two four two four two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, dot com, where America goes to hire. Hi, this is Vanessa Bell Calloway. Oh, it's just Peace. What's up, everybody? This is Trey Shane. and you are listening to Vitamin D with Dawn Day.
1: So before we jump back into our conversations Mm there, you mentioned about geriatric pregnancy. Yes. You said it's a myth. So I said it's a myth
2: because the term geriatric pregnancy refers to anybody that gets pregnant over the age of 35. Why? So at 35 years old, you're not geriatric. (laughs) Your pregnancy is not geriatric like I'm pretty sure that the study that was actually used to determine the optimal age for reproduction was based entirely on studying white women. Mm. And... um, Come on, say it. Don't hold back. Come on. We're not them. (laughs) We're just not them. We come from different communities where our bodies are different. You know, we hold our children differently. We nurture our children differently. So when I hear people say the term geriatric pregnancy, it just reminds me of how much like medicine has made women and people fear their own body's capacity,
1: you know? Wow, and what do you mean by their own capacity, like of what the of body course, can do? Like yeah. you're putting limits on magic. You're right. putting limits, like Janet Jackson that can create life exactly. Like and it's it's
2: person to person. Like it's not, it's not. It's really weird too that I see like most of the people saying that, encouraging people to have kids in their early twenties. Because I'm like, in this economy,
1: right? That <laughs> like, part. So you With dang no, on having
2: somebody still take care of yourself, right? With no, you know, structure for caregiving, we don't have preschools that have capacity right now that have popped back up since COVID. You know, we don't have support for moms
1: that's like accessible. You know, we don't have support for dads. Mm. I will say you, you know, just this part of the conversation has really gotten me inspired. One, like my mom had me at, was my mom thirty five? Yeah, my mom was 35 right? and yeah, because she was 32 and I'm shit. I'm 36 mm-hmm. and that, that is something that hits my head. I'm like, well, what does that look like? Me wanting to have children. I'm at the point right now, like I'm working out and stuff and I've said this before. Like, I feel like I've been pregnant my whole life. So whoever I'm uh, with, I'm and my, and my partner, uh, she gonna have to carry or If it's a man, we're gonna mm-hmm. have to find, you know, a somebody, situation. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I just I don't see that happening. Yeah, at least that's what I'm saying right now. I don't want to stop that. But yeah. I hear that, um, and that's the and thing. I'm like, is that just, it is no, what No, I sure. mean that's that's it. That's and your I, truth. You know, and I want to say, and I, I, let me let me use my words properly to say that I felt pregnant because I know that there is more than that to that. But as far mm-hmm. as what it means to me, is just carrying the weight. And I know that it is more than just a weight. It is a life. There is something beauty, but my experience and how it's been, how it's felt to me to not have a stomach. <laughs> That's something I'm looking forward to. Mm. It could change because as I'm hearing it, I'm hearing something else, and I I'm <laughs> judging myself. But that is but this story. is your
2: truth right now. Right so now. just embrace and I, it. I have flexibility to change. Exactly, to change. and that's the thing is that I'm so glad you can say you have the flexibility to change and not think, oh, well, I have to decide right now. I have to go harvest my eggs right now so that I can preserve them and have
1: my embryos frozen. You don't need to do that. And they that's put that not pressure you because, yeah. you know, I have fibroids. And so I was mm-hmm. asking you, what was your experience like when you were like, oh, my gosh, is this endometriosis to hear how you handled it so cool. I remember I went, I didn't even know. And, you know, you said something. Yeah. You said, Dawn, you should just not be in pain. I will never forget. I um, I was going to my friend's birthday, Dion. I was in so much pain. I couldn't even get out the car. Mm. And the thing that was interesting, I had went to see my. um. My general practitioner, mm-hmm. she had did my uh my path and mm-hmm. she had noticed that it was it was Abnormal. abnormal. Yeah, abnormal. She said, Oh, it's kinda large. Let me recommend you over to an OBGYN. and I felt like you. I felt like I was disregarded like I felt judged cuz um I was heavier than I was now but she was doing her examination she was like oh there's just so much tissue and I was just like first of all you're up in me then you're like oh I just can't see and she had said oh there's fibroids but I almost felt like it was a shame thing mm-hmm. and from then it took I waited I dismissed it and go to the doctor then fast forward um she had did a, a she had to biopsy, test a, a biopsy yeah. to test the tissue it came out non-cancerous so that was fine but they still wanted to say hey we should remove this right. early but at that point I'm in so much shame so I'm just like forget it I'm just I hadn't experienced any pain then ever since she did that biopsy I think like the following next 2 months I'm saying cramps. I couldn't even get out the bed. And I, I it hurt me so bad because I thought of my mother. Mm. She uh, transitioned from stage four breast cancer. And I remember the time that she was in pain. She was calling out to her mother. And I said, oh, my God, I can't even imagine the type of pain that she had experienced. And then that's when I was like, oh, there's something that I need to do about this. And I think more conversations like this are mm-hmm. people saying like, hey, this has happened to me. When you feel this type of pain, you should it's talk about normal. it. And yeah. if your doctor or somebody else makes you feel uncomfortable, figure out somebody that does and what it feels like when you are comfortable and it is the right person. Right. And ultimately,
2: we need to normalize these things because we should not suffer
1: in silence.
2: No, oh, there's that is like
1: another level and layer of the injustices you have, have something about suffering and silence right mm-hmm. R.G. Lord, you are talking, there's a mm, book. Your silence will not protect your you. Yes. Not- you got that book. To- look, so yes. we got goodies that Sarah has brought. Um, yes. But wait, before okay, we yes. jump there, we mm-hmm. had to talk about the myth of geriatric pregnancy. Yes. Knowing that that is based on a certain group of people. Yeah. Knowing that if you do not identify or classify yourself as such person or as said person, there is possibility and not limit the magic of our bodies. I mean, life comes from this. hmm Now at this point, now that you're like okay, you go to the doctor. They say, Mm -hmm. "Hey, I'm like, hey sis, hey, (laughs) um, you can still possibly have children. You can possibly bring in life. Yeah. Now you're in a a career path where you're actually bringing in life, and well, not only bringing, but you're a full spectrum Mm -hmm. doula. So, okay, tell us about this. Yes. Okay. So, do you want to do like doula versus midwife, or just what is a doula? What is a doula? And then you have the midwife versus, I don't know, if it's just the regular delivery person at the doctor. Yes.
2: So, we can go through all the terms. Okay. So, a doula is a labor support person, right? It's someone that is with you for the physical, emotional, and spiritual transition of pregnant to not pregnant. Pregnant, you know, with baby in you, and then labor, that process, and then postpartum, so the aftermath. I am a full-spectrum doula, so that means that I am trained in supporting a person through the full spectrum of possibilities that could happen with pregnancy outcomes. So that could look like supporting someone experiencing a stillbirth, experiencing a miscarriage or early pregnancy loss, someone seeking an abortion, or someone ultimately, you know, giving birth. So anything that falls along that spectrum, I am trained to provide support for.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, so when, what's the difference between a doula and a midwife?
2: Okay. So a doula is a non-medical personnel. So we often have training in um, some form of medicine or some medical field, but our role, anything medical is out of our scope. Whereas a midwife is a trained professional who has either undergone a direct entry route, meaning that they attended a university and had an apprenticeship or preceptorship and had to sit and take an exam or a nurse midwife. A nurse midwife is someone who is a nurse and a midwife that has midwifery training, but there's kind of separate entry routes. So midwives differ from doctors in a lot of ways. One, midwives use the midwifery model of care to
1: midwives. <sighs> What's the midwifery like... model real quick? Is it a... Okay, yeah.
2: So the midwifery model of care is an approach and model of providing care for someone experiencing pregnancy that recognizes that it is a normal, natural and common part of life, not a medical emergency that should be managed. So the midwifery model of care basically is grounded in the principle that in the absence of um, like, Anything that would confirm otherwise, we should allow natural processes to continue, right? So interventions are only suggested when there's evidence to indicate that um, there is a problem, but they're not looking for problems where an OBGYN may typically run a practice where that would happen.
1: And why would they be looking for a problem?
2: Because then they can operate on you and they can do a C-section and then... They can bill you not only for the surgeon's fees, but for the anesthesiologist, the OR fees, you usually have to do two, three stay. You know, having highly medicalized births is highly profitable for the medical industrial complex, and they make so much money off of birth that it is a
1: business, well, I feel like the whole medical realm is a business mm, in general. It is. So, it is. you I mean the way you 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 gave like the side eye, <laughs> I feel like you're not really for like going to the doctor. So, I don't want to say that. I want to see us having
2: legitimate systems of community healthcare. And I think that a lot of people think that that means we can't rely or trust nurses or doctors. But it's really, to me, about training to build relationships, right? Because when you're caring for someone and you're kind of holding a lot of power in regards to their health and their life, that's a very serious, sacred relationship that you're making with them. And I think that the way we operate currently doesn't allow for these relationships to occur. And oftentimes doctors and medical personnel are unable to invest, right? Right enough time or one-on-one energy with their patients for their healthcare outcomes to actually address their healthcare needs mm. you know because when we when we don't talk to each other when when we really don't have a way of relating to the other person and connecting with them that is not simply based on trying to extract this list of, um, you know, statistics or data that you're trying to seek to make a diagnosis. It becomes easier to see people as products.
1: Yeah. We need to put the humanity back in healthcare. We really do. So, and uh, is there something that a midwife could not do that perhaps... Do a doctor. Call, could yeah. do? An OBGYN. OBGYN, yeah. Yes. So that depends
2: on state to state. But currently... OBGYNs are treated and have the utmost authority when it comes to birth, right? They're medical doctors. They know more They've studied they've done the research. Most of them if not all have probably not seen a natural like normal physiological birth, you know, without um some sort of intervention whether it be an IV, whether it be, you know, a Foley bulb to dilate their cervix, whether it be um, you know, forceps, episiotomy, you know, the cutting of the, the perineum. So they are used to engaging with birth in a medical context. For whatever reason, they hold the most authority. They have prescriptive authority. They are allowed to govern each other and themselves. But midwives are a different kind of category because doctors have a vested interest in trying to you know, stigmatize the midwifery profession. You know, it's easy to say that midwives are uneducated and dirty and don't use practices that are up to standard, right? Because we birth at home. We birth in community settings. I can see why they say that. Exactly. Like you can see it. Okay. Yeah. You know, things aren't sterile. Exactly. Right. Okay. Sure. And that's exactly how I was for years and years. And then I actually learned about the process of birth, of physiological birth and learned that the interventions that are pushed onto people are not ultimately more helpful than not intervening there are people that are told that they won't be able to push their baby out because their baby is too big right um who said that like Whose baby is too big? Like, why? What does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? The baby's too big. Like, the baby was grown
1: in this thing, so it's big enough, (laughs) you know? But. That? I'm I'm getting flashes girl to House of Dragon. Did you watch are you watching it? Did you watch not? it? No, I know. Oh. It was just this one part. I heard there's a scene. Yeah. Oh my god. I heard there's a scene oh. where she, where the mom dies. Yeah, and and, and 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 she was having, you know, issues a with really difficult labor. Baby, and I'm yeah. just wondering what was what we can't talk about Granny I know, but but I will say that that a lot
2: of people have talked to me about that and they're like, it was so scary. It was so, girl. It was so horrible. And I was like so happy to hear people say that because I think that was the first time that like pop culture wise, people realized that like maternal morbidity is
1: an issue. My mother, before she passed, she said, I got it on tape. She says, Don, she said having a baby is like going through death. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like death and rebirth. A lot of people describe mm-hmm. it as because like
2: you're going to the deepest parts of yourself and finding the straight it's a lot more mental than it is physical often,
1: you know? And and, and even just thinking, I, I didn't even think about to touch on this with you, but just a historical context of what pregnancy, you know, how it was enforced on women and, and 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 what that meant for women at the time versus today. But let's get back. So we're talking about how whether they're saying like midwifery mm-hmm. and it's not as sanitary until you were doing it. You said, hey, it isn't quote-unquote yeah. dirty. Yeah, it's not dirty because... um Birth
2: is a natural process that's meant to occur, right? We're meant to exit and our bodies and immune systems then learn so much information as we exit, you know, the vaginal canal, as we exit the body. That doesn't happen with cesarean births because with cesarean births, the body is not actually physically able to process birth in a way that it is meant to occur, right? So cesarean birth is when, um, or surgical birth, sometimes they're called. A lot of times they're called cesarean sections, but. Or C-section. Yeah, C-section. That's super common. I try and use language like cesarean birth or surgical birth because they are still births. You know, they are still births. People that have cesarean births still have births, you know. better have all-inclusive exactly. language, gosh darn it. It's, we, I've seen the ways that gentle cesareans work. Which is where, you know, instead of baby being rushed immediately, cord clamp, boom, done, like everyone's separated. It's like this huge emergency. Um, You know, the baby is placed on the chest of the birth person and, you know, they can connect and they do a bedside evaluation of the infant instead of taking the infant to a different station to, like, check it. That's super common. That's a shock.
1: Yeah, Because I mean for the entire existence they had the heartbeat, they had the warmth mm-hmm. of this being and immediately So this. So, you talked about the entry into this world and mm-hmm. whether or not it's a cesarean birth or a natural birth or vaginal mm-hmm. uh, Is there a difference between someone having birth on their back versus maybe squatting? So there's a physiological
2: difference When you're on your back you're not in the ideal position to actually expand your pelvis. So our pelvic bones and like structures are really cool because they're actually, they move. You know, they're joined by ligaments. And so as you move your body, you can feel certain parts of your body moving and expanding. So squatting, for example, allows the the kind of like pelvic floor muscles to relax. So they're not as like tense, which allows baby to descend usually like quicker. When you're laying on your back, you are kind of in one of the worst positions. Are you serious? Because when you're giving birth, you need to think about how you're making space, right? Like, it's like a, it's like Jenga. You know that game Jenga? Uh. Making space, ensuring that everyone gets a turn. That's kind of how it is in the body. Like, the pelvic bones and all of our bones like in this general area are able to move. We have these bones called sits bones that they're movable on our back. Not movable like, oh, you can touch it and it moves, but depending on the position you're in, it will change the amount of space that there is for a baby to exit your body. So a lot of times we tell people to push with their knees in because when you put your knees in, what's actually happening is your low pelvis is being opened up. Yeah. So it depends. I have a bunch of different um, and a lot of birth workers have to um, like rotations or kind of like sets that you can do depending on where the baby is in your body. So like if you want more like space in the mid pelvis, right? Or if you need more space in the outer pelvic inlet, there are certain positions and
1: kind of movements you can do at different stages of labor. And these are things that you probably won't do with an OBGYN. Probably,
2: yeah. So that's why it's really important to hire a doula, you know? So is a midwife the same as a doula? No, no. Okay, Mm -hmm. so what's the difference between those two? Right, so midwives are medical personnel, right? Oh, because they're still male. Mm-hmm. Doulas are non-medical. So as in my capacity as a doula, I do not touch any of the equipment from any of the practitioners, whether it be a midwife or a doctor or a nurse practitioner or something. You know, I'm there for the birthing person and whoever else is there with them you know it's my sole focus to really be there for them and part of that usually looks like taking inventory of the relationships and the energy in the room so you're not pulling the baby out you're not
1: oh i'm not pulling ba- no we oh, don't want to okay. pull babies so, out <laughs> uh, so you also doulas are not like that but yeah. emotional support you yeah. guys aren't actually taking the baby out no. you're just like we re- mm-hmm and you know it makes sense Because your energy is so calm In fact, I was oh, telling Jeremiah you. about you From when we met months ago I was like, I was like, her energy is how people describe my voice to be Because people be like, oh. Dawn, your voice is like So soothing, it almost is. like seductive I was like, when you see her, her energy It's like, not in a degrading mm-hmm. way But it's so sexy, it's so alluring mm. It's so like, come here And then she be looking with her eyes and stuff And then she got <laughs> these wings on the side of her eyes I'm like, Sarah, stop looking at me this hard <laughs> i cannot but that means a lot because yeah, yeah, no, it really is a great energy
2: oh well i will hopefully be helping catching babies i'm going to be applying to midwifery school soon yeah
1: so i'm really excited and so that means so you're kind of never once are you going to consider being obgyn no (laughs) wait why did you you had a second up (sighs) i mean i've thought about the aspect of school to get in your way I just
2: don't think that I would thrive in a medical program. Like, a like going to med school, I would develop more enemies than friends. Uh, and I sure. wouldn't want to feel like I'm the odd one out. Like, I actually want to learn with other people that, like, believe in the power of people's bodies and and their autonomy. Mm. You know, I don't want to, like be the lone person having to advocate for this like when I don't have to be plus I've considered it right I've considered it but ultimately at the end of the day I just don't think
1: I'd want that power either so talking about power Mm. what's your thoughts on this whole role versus way (sighs) what's which part which part uh, whatever comes to mind It's because we're talking about rights and Mm -hmm. whether or not somebody can terminate a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that sometimes what if it's a life or death situation or what if, you know, somebody is a victim of some type of sexual abuse or just like they don't want to be
2: pregnant. Yeah. Like there's plenty of times where I think we have to like give ourselves the grace to be like it doesn't have to be like the worst thing ever for us to like support someone's abortion you know Mm. what I mean because like I think those arguments they're super super galvanizing and like it's like ooh that's so like that's such a good point right but ultimately we support people's bodily autonomy not just when they're in crisis situations you know or experience or you know victims of violence or harm like
1: We want people to have autonomy all the time. But is it not looked at like, well, you are responsible enough to get pregnant, so you need to figure out what to do with it. Right. But where does that idea come from? That just because we
2: have the organs to get pregnant, that like if we do, it says something about us. You know, what you mean us? Like, I don't think if someone gets pregnant that like it means that like oh you know you you, like most people say like oh you did the deed you gotta kind of like open up or be willing to take responsibility but like you're not wrong for getting pregnant you know that just happens sometimes like it's just something that happens in life sometimes people can control it sometimes they can't it's neither here nor there it's gonna happen you know I think we spent a lot of time focusing on the, like, perception of, like, what, like, oh, someone like that, you know, someone like that, Mm. someone who would have unprotected sex, you know, someone who would do these things that maybe don't fit into our purview of what we would do. Mm -hmm. But what does that say about us then? Judging. Yeah. Like, when we need support, we really shouldn't be met with judgment.
1: So you you feel like Roe versus Wade, which you're highly opposed is because of the judgment?
2: Not just the judgment, but I mean, it's literally limiting. Abortion is healthcare. You know, we're literally revoking people's access to healthcare because of like men, (laughs) like literally men made this decision, you know, and it was bad before Roe. I want people to know that. 40% of counties in California do not have a single abortion clinic. And we are, you know, Blue state, we protect this abortions. Is right now? This is right now. 40% of counties. 40% I mean, that's like a fucking lot of people. Like it's millions of people that have to drive miles even to just get to a clinic. I mean, when, when we think about it like that, and this is the issue that I have too is, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor announced that there's this like scholarship fund for nursing students and people that are going to um, be providing abortion related health care. Cool. We don't have enough people, professionals in the state of California that can teach that to other people because general practitioners and care providers like family nurse practitioners or family medicine doctors often don't receive or receive very little education in abortions and, you know, miscarriage management. Um, and that's intentional, mm-hmm. you know, that's super intentional and it sucks.
1: Yeah. So do you feel that, what are your thoughts on the, the before this was the issue of whether or not it was going to be overturned Rovesh's Wade, mm-hmm. as far as the time limit on when somebody can get an abortion, do you think that should exist? If somebody wants to abort a baby at eight and a half months, should it be fine? I mean, that's not really for me to decide. You well, I, know, I, but best. Mm, come on, right you know now.
2: one. I think one example we can look at is Chrissy Teigen.
1: So I last didn't year, hear the whole story. She, mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. So
2: she was very public about experiencing a loss, pregnancy mm-hmm. loss. Yeah, and um, you know, she recently came out saying. Let me call it, essentially, I'm just paraphrasing, but she said, like let me call it what it was. I had a, I had an abortion, right? And that's because people that have miscarriages or experience spontaneous pregnancy loss that is not connected to any factors that could be, you know found. its just spontaneous, right? They are often needing and often receive the same kind of health care, the same surgeries, the same medications, the same therapies and treatments that someone seeking an abortion would. Because for the body, abortion and miscarriage are the same.
1: So was it an abortion or a miscarriage this that year? That's uh-huh. the thing. It's like... I don't, I thought, I didn't know if I heard like she had to compare like her, her losing her life or, or was her life in danger. I don't know if I read that, but I did see mm. abortion. I just put it together like, oh, but the reason mm-hmm. why is because her life was in danger.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's situations like that. The majority of abortions take place in the first or second trimester. I mean, if people had access to abortions, we wouldn't have to worry about these kinds of things. Like, what happens at eight? Months, if someone does, because obviously that happens. But if people had readily, you know, accessible abortion-related, sexual health-related healthcare, they wouldn't have to kind
1: of push off the choices that they wanted mm-hmm. to make. You know, and also be ashamed or embarrassed about mm-hmm. them. So <clears throat> we're gonna transfer over. I have this uh, segment. It's entitled "Shed Light on to Shed Light on This," mm-hmm. and basically it's a segment where I'm gonna give you a scenario, right? Okay and it's gonna have a character who's dealing with a situation Mm. and they don't know how to handle it Mm. ding 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 and that's where you come in so I just want you to come up with whatever you feel like the solution is that you feel will work best based on the situation that Mm -hmm. this character is in so basically there it's your advice so don't trip don't sweat because there's no right or wrong answer Mm. so are you ready to give uh, some knowledge about your life experience okay I am are you listening I'm listening All right, so Danielle is a 26-year-old expecting mother. She is currently two months pregnant, and this will be her first child. Danielle is not in contact with the person that got her pregnant. She has the love and support of her parents and friends, but she is still anxious about the pregnancy process. Her best friend Jasmine suggested that she finds a birth doula to guide her through their pregnancy, but Danielle can be very stubborn and often refuses to ask for help, even when she really needs it. She pushed back on Jasmine's advice because all the people she knows who have given birth never had a doula. She also doesn't think she can afford one. Jasmine told Danielle that it won't hurt to try out, try it out, but Danielle is still unsure. Sarah, can you help shed some light on this? Yes. So I, as
2: a doula, will always recommend that people have a doula. Point blank period. Because there is a level of extra hug that you need, a little a little extra like security blanket of someone that's there for you that you can rely on and just knowing that you have that is going to make you feel more comfortable and confident navigating the journey. So, doula care can be expensive. I'll also say that ultimately it's worth it. Because you have to think of it as an investment, you know, it's an investment in your birth your baby your process and it's very Person specific very tailored to what each person needs And there's never a time where I will not recommend doula care But with that being said, I hear danielle's concerns, you know, it's hard to Ask for help, you know, you worry about affording one most doulas Like myself work on a sliding scale so we offer a range of you know price points that people can choose based on their own ability and I also you know utilize payment plans so it's not a burden to be able to have care during pregnancy you know ultimately most of us are in this work not to make a buck you know what I'm saying like it's 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 kind of sad, actually, how devalued, like, financially doula care is. So the state of California is, like, trying to do this big integration of doulas into Medi-Cal. And what that looks like is doulas having to work and basically become registered and work with physicians in order to get, like, someone to sign off or, like, to approve their hours and stuff. And I'm really concerned about that because doulas are community members you know we're not bound to a code of ethics we are not bound to a medical board we don't have licenses that can be revoked we are community members who have answered a calling and have shown up for people and i i fear that with the regulation like this increase in this desire to regulate and professionalize um doula care that ultimately it's going to center the most privileged you know the white doulas you know who can take on all these clients with Medi-Cal like through Medi-Cal because they will work with a physician that will you know give them their signatures that they need
1: Um, and then we have a disparity there yeah
2: I mean a lot of people a lot of people just don't want to work with um or under a medical person and that's well within our rights as doulas like we are not medical personnel we are comfortable we that's that's where our power is is that we're not there for the medicine we're there for the medicine that's in here you know catch it like we're really there to to be there to hold and most most often you know you're not going to get that holding and that care from your provider because of the way that maternal healthcare is structured in the United States. So I would really hope that Danielle would, you know, feel comfortable. I also have an awesome doula friend named Jasmine. So I was like, that is so funny. And she's from Alabama. She went to university of Alabama and she's actually going to be going back soon. Oh, so wow. I'm super excited.
1: Is the doula field very diverse?
2: Um, It depends. So yeah. me, I did not go to a training where there were a lot of white people. I was trained by an organization called the Birth Workers of Color Collective. We are, you know, we're people of color. We're, we're not catering towards um, a white birthing demographic, but there's a lot of um, racial inequality in the birth work field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll see a lot of times um, white presenting or white adjacent or white people getting um, recognized for work that they're not necessarily doing, you know, they're getting grants for communities that they're not necessarily a part of. Um, Cause you know, a lot of white people like to do diversity work. You know, they like to work with people of color, teen moms, poor people that makes them diversity and inclusion. But I mean, there's a whole lot of us who are from those communities So, kind of would make sense for us to support our community members. I don't know. But, you know, some of them don't think that way. So, it is interesting. But I have a really, really strong kind of community and network of black and brown doulas and birth workers of color. And that's where I'm comfortable and that's where I'm staying.
1: I heard the hell out of that. I didn't have you here for a minute. But one other thing that I think would be so important just for that young mother that's about to go in there to give birth mm. for that father that is accompanying his wife, his girlfriend, his significant other, for anybody that is walking in the room or experiencing themselves walking in the room or getting pushed in there about to give birth. What are the things that they should think about? If you could give like a checklist or just say, hey, keep these things in mind while giving birth, preparing for birth or anywhere in between the process, what would you say?
2: know what your boundaries are. You have to do a very deep inventory and check in with yourself about what your pregnancy should look like for you, you know, who you want to be around you during your pregnancy, who you don't want to be around. Um, there's a lot of times that we have, you know, stressful people in our lives. You don't want all that extra stress. You don't want all that extra stress when you're pregnant. Um, I tell people to, look at the way that their home is set up. Physically, you may need to adjust some things, you know. You may need to move some chairs closer to your bed. You know, you may be getting a crib. You need to physically orient your space for a new person to come in. And I would also say that this goes back to having boundaries is know what you are comfortable with and know the risk.
1: Okay. Because this is an experience for your health mm-hmm. care mm-hmm. so that you can be happy mm-hmm. and healthy. Yes. <laughs> and
2: also it's like we become desensitized because we think it's a medical thing to be managed, but it's people give birth every day.
1: And it's an experience. Mm-hmm. Sarah I inhaled you For quite some time Oh well, um, I Should I pull out A term in the Vita It's not necessary Alright I know It's so much Okay Last thing So what? this is called The Vita chest Oh In here there are terms That relate to you In your life Oh my So specifically to you Now the thing that makes It interesting about the Terms in here Is that Say if you were a basketball player, you're mm. a ref. I always give this example, so get used to it, y'all. Uh, say if you are a basketball player or a ref, there may be a term in there, pivot, okay. as that is a movement, term. a term in basketball. But just as you pivot on the court like you were turned, sometimes you got to pivot in life. Mm. You see the double entendre mm. there? Okay, good. So in here, like I was saying, okay. the are words that relate to you. Okay, And um, tell us what they mean. And then how they can be used to inspire somebody. Okay. okay. makes sense? I think you so. You catching it while it's hot? I think so. Shake, shake, shake. All right. All right. Let's get this going. Okay. Okay. Mm-mm. Here we go. Okay. okay. Life.
2: It's life. It just says life. <laughs> um, I would probably say that it's the very, very small parts of life that through this work, I've begun to appreciate. So if you've ever seen a baby realize that a window is a window and realize the outside is outside, you feel like you're watching the shortest and most amazing movie of all time because you're literally watching like a human, you know, a real life human that needs a lot of nurturing and care, like understand that like this is the world and they are inside a box. And it is so interesting. And, you know, sometimes they cry, sometimes they scream. And that's how life can be sometimes, you know. You want to cry, you want to scream in your box too. <laughs> but the growth is always there.
1: Yeah. And if you just keep on living, you're gonna keep on growing, right? That's it. Just keep on keeping on. That's right. Because if it isn't over, it's not all right. I mean, it's not all right it isn't over catch it all right Sarah where can they follow you um, on social media do you have any future projects you want people to know about mm. tell us all the good stuff okay so yes you can follow me on social media I ran an Instagram
2: account called tales of a day which I can I can send you or you have access to and I can yeah
1: what is that oh my gosh I thought that was day like dawn day die you're yes. in training for this
2: yes so a dai is the traditional term that we use in a lot of South Asian communities to describe a birth attendant. So it's kind of like my tales. That's why I call it like the tales of my, you know, journey because I want to show other people that becoming a midwife, becoming someone that works in community healthcare is something that we can do. There's a lot of barriers to starting in this field or like getting a career in this field and you know, especially being a younger person. Like, I don't want people to think that midwives are only people that are, like, older. They have to, you know, the, like, the role of, like, a grandmother. Like, no, we can we can be whatever we want to be. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah, so you can follow me there. Um, I'm working on an a abortion doula collective. So an, a national abortion doula collective to train abortion doulas. So um, information will be posted on my Instagram soon Yeah It's exciting
1: You know Let me just call me I know I keep talking And I think that there is a negative Of course it is Because that's why people are opposed Stigmatism to abortion Because when you said abortion And you smiled at me mm. I saw a bloody image of a baby Mmm. And that's just being transparent. And it could be any situation of, who knows? It could be a stillbirth. Mm-hmm. It could be anything, like you said. But my mind was, you know, in conflict. So I'm like, why we she been smiling taught, at that? Right? Because I'm like, well, how else the abortion happen? To this? Mm-hmm. So, right. But because that's all we've been taught. That's all we've been taught.
2: We are taught that it is an uncommon. Extremely difficult procedure that is so emotionally intense. This is taught you know? to me as murder. That's what it exactly. Looks like, we're right. not taught that medication at? abortion is safer than going for a drive, attending a frat party, or even carrying a pregnancy to term. You know, we're not taught these statistics. So that medication abortion is safer than Tylenol. You know that it has an efficacy rate that's higher than birth control. So. We we are withheld information's withheld from us. We're mis we're miseducated intentionally.
1: And gosh darn. Okay, well, thank you for that information. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Tales of a die. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I hope I said that no, Yes, really no, never- you did say oh, okay. it. Okay. Right? I was you like, did. dang. Okay. It's like this like, e-, you know? E- like, e- e- yeah. There okay. you. Yeah. All right. And what else we got?
2: So I gave you a guide from We Testify about how to use medication abortion pills yeah because this is information that's publicly available through the world health organization and this is just information sharing so you know this is not encouraging anyone to do anything it's just letting you know there are
1: options out mm-hmm. there and that people like you with the same mindset
2: yeah. exist. And, and when you point, can you're make, not alone you're not alone and when you have information you can make informed choices right. and informed consent
1: is always the goal so i heard that yeah. that. okay so that's what you're working on next and is there any other way that we can support you? You know, just start talking about the oh. things that matter. I mean, I think it's really
2: great that more and more people that ne- that don't necessarily do this work are interested about it. Yeah, you don't have to necessarily want to do it. You can just be like, "What's up with that?"
1: You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I want to know about that. You just want to know. So, listen, if you like Joe and you want to know, you better go follow Sarah. Oh. Okay on all of her social media <laughs> and tell so somebody about her because there are people who need to know how important it is or who need support. Cause hell, she was talking about Nina a doula and I'm thinking myself, my mom transitioned over 10 years ago. Mm. And with the support that she says that a doula can offer, I can imagine that could be a comfort of me along with my sister, along with my family, but just that person that you can just exhale with, you know, it's cause birth is an experience. Gosh, darn it. And life be life, and it'd be nice to just life life peacefully, you know? Yeah, and I think, ultimately,
2: it feels unnatural for us to have to experience so much pain alone, Mm. because we're not meant to experience those things alone, you know? We're meant to be wrapped up in our community, and in people that that can hold us and care for us when, when we
1: need it. Health care period okay period Period. Uh, there we go (laughs) (laughs) okay y'all um well i guess it's about time to head out of here i hope you feel inspired i hope you got something from it you know that's what it's about and that's what we're about shedding light Hmm. now if you'd like to be a guest on the show uh you can go ahead and send us email vitamin d at dawn Dayspeaks.com. or if you have an idea for a topic hell i didn't know i was gonna have a doula on talking about all this good stuff (laughs) but it was good right um, you may also need some advice You know, your love, your career Aspirations, how you feeling Whatever have you Email me D at DawnDaySpeaks.com Now, you know I always say So I'm going to remind you again What do I say? If you want to be better And you want to do better You have to be able to see better So know that when you're writing me And I'm giving you my response It may not always be the thing that you want to hear But I just want to let you be able to see so that you can make an informed decision, right? Give you another perspective to see it, right? Know that it's coming out of love. Furthermore, if you still listen, that means that you enjoy this. So can you tell somebody (laughs) to tell somebody else to tell somebody else that Dawn Day got a podcast and it's called Vitamin D with Dawn Day and it's available wherever. I didn't say somewhere. I didn't say over there. I didn't say just on iHeart or Apple or Spotify. I said everywhere. You get your favorite podcast, okay? It means the world to me. You know this is my dream. And while you're at it, go ahead and rate it. You see the stars up there? Go ahead and hit five and make a little comment. Say something that you liked about it. Or maybe some adjustments. Just say something that somebody can make it a warm decision to check us out. Okay, another thing. If you want to see this beautiful young lady that I'm looking at, Go ahead and uh, follow us on all social media Vitamin D Dawn Day We got clips We got excerpts On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube TikTok, Fanbase, Pinterest Wherever, however Pinterest? We outside Oh
2: my Uh, So check us out Okay
1: (laughs) And now if you want some vitamin D You know the original source That'd be me (laughs) You can follow me personally At Dawn Day Speaks Okay Now, I'm out of here for real. You know I always say, I'm in the business of making dreams come true. And I damn sure ain't gonna forget about mine. So until next time, you know I always say, you are your greatest asset. Peace. Get your vitamin D
2: right here with me and get excited about.
0: Right Rug Flooring.
1: information.